0: What's up guys, Mitch from RespectMortgage.com back with another episode of the North American Weed Tour podcast, episode 78. We're getting real close to the end of the season of 80 episodes. I'm joined by co-host Joey over here. What's up everybody? First time we've done an episode together in a while. Honestly, we've been doing these kind of independently with our guests and today our special guests are none other than Jeff and Bill, the brothers behind Beard Bros Farms. How are you guys doing today? Doing excellent. Thank you doing good
1: man good morning man it's welcome welcome to have you guys i appreciate y'all i already told y'all offline a lot of respect for what you guys do man and the hustle the grind what what do people say when we're all around us there's a lot of content happening right now right like there's just content it's like we're not even doing anything no one's snapping photos but there's content happening right
2: constant yep. content
1: love it man always, always be creating oh gosh and you guys you guys are you guys are legends here in here in the game man and you guys i mean we've, we've done an interview we've had you guys on as guests um or i guess as you know an interview guest before and whatnot but it's just really interesting to you know to be able to learn about you guys and to hear about your story and coming from the east coast over here to the west coast and changing your life and risking it all for what you guys love to do in the world of cannabis man
3: well we appreciate that it's been a uh, very interesting a long strange trip to uh quote some grateful dead in there it's been very interesting uh our moves from the East Coast to West Coast in cannabis
2: industry in general. Yeah, it looks like we're actually gonna make it into 2022 as well. (laughs) Been (laughs) been kind of crazy last year, year and a half of of wondering how the future, what the
0: future holds, so. Awesome, man, awesome. Well, we're gonna get into that story a little bit. You know, we kick off these episodes usually with people's introduction to the plant, kind of their history, their origin story around the plant. The plant that we're talking about, of course, is cannabis. so we'll just go from from left to right. We'll start with you, Bill. What kind of your history, your origin around this cannabis plant? You can be vulnerable, share, you know, your personal history or talk more of professional or business. I I, tend, I I believe you guys will probably be a little bit of a mixture of both. But if you could give us kind of your origin around this plant.
3: Uh, yeah. Uh, origin for me started when I was uh, approximately 13. Ironically enough, now living in L.A., it was a friend of mine uh, that lived in Pennsylvania, but his parents had been teachers uh, here in the uh, California State College system. Uh, So Cal State Fullerton professors um, that were now teaching at Penn State. It was my first experience with cannabis. Uh, My friend Jesse and his brother, who was older and in college, uh, pretty sure we took it from Jesse or took it from his brother, unbeknownst to him. And uh, that was my first real experience with cannabis. Um, Like a lot of people, I don't remember specifically getting high. I just know it was something that uh, I felt better after doing Um, as far as professional goes. Professionals started uh, way back in the 80s, started with a passion, uh, obviously, with just cannabis in general, but then morphed into a a passion for plants overall. And then once I really got interested in plants, I realized what a special plant cannabis was, um, and it was on from there. Basically, ever since I started taking care of plants, I've always had a passion for cannabis.
0: And what about yourself, Jeff?
2: Well, uh, with Bill being the older brother being six years older, it's always funny for me to tell this story. And, uh, I, I actually started smoking about 13 as well. Um, went to YMCA basketball practice in Florida where we lived at the time and got picked up by Bill and one of his friends who happened to be smoking in the front seat. And, uh, you know, in the back seat, I'm curious, younger brother wondering what's going on. Let, Let me try a little bit of that as well. Um, so yeah, that, that on the way home, basketball practice was the first time don't really recall getting high either but you know then obviously being 13 14 15 and having a 19 20 21 year old brother who's cultivating uh, I got into the distribution side of things through through high school and college times Um, so that was kind of my my intro to the plant and very much on the the recreational side of things Um, it was around the 2010 time when Bill and I really recognized both from a freedom and a medicine aspect that we wanted to move from the east coast to the west coast where everything was much more liberal with regards to cannabis um i I, i'm like bill i've had a love of the plant since then and just immersed ourselves in in all aspects of the culture um business-wise like i joked kind of a little bit in college i was i was the plug back then in florida and had some people in south florida that i knew of as well so i was making some trips down there to pick up crippy bring that back up to gainesville and we had some friends that had some some good outdoor and uh, home grown up in Kentucky, Tennessee, that we would get from them and and, and bring back down to, to Florida. So, um, and then just as we move west, Colorado and California is where we've kind of planted our flag, Colorado for a short period of time, and then and then California. Um, but just been in it grinding ever since.
0: 100%. So that move west was obviously, you said, to to something that was a little more free and accepting of cannabis. So would your guys' move single-handedly kind of like cannabis was the goal in, in that move westward? Yeah, absolutely, that was the whole point. Uh, we, were in, we were in Florida and they were giving out long
3: sentences for people who had maybe a four to eight lighter in their house. Uh, people were getting years for cultivating a plant that uh, we had felt for decades was not, should not have been um, prohibited the way it was. So yeah, it was a definite move out of Florida to to cultivate cannabis, absolutely.
2: Well, it was at the end of the, the early 2000s when the housing market crashed. We'd been working in an ancillary business to to construction in in Florida. So the, the frustration and pressure of that combined with seeing what Colorado and California were doing at the time and seeing that they were leading the way and knowing that if we wanted to plant a long-term flag, we, we needed to get out there and establish
0: ourselves. Absolutely. And, and so coming to California, what was it like kind of you know, coming as an outsider to seek both community around, you know, just people that partake in this, but also cultivating and learning and picking up that, like what, what were those pieces and how did you guys approach kind of learning and acquiring new skills out here in the West?
3: Um When we originally got to Los Angeles, we weren't, we weren't the beer bros yet. We were just still Bill and Jeff. Um, it was 2011. So people were not completely out with cannabis yet. Obviously there's a lot of pioneers, people that were in the the early teens and things like that, they were definitely out. Um, We realized early on when Prop 19 didn't pass here that if we uh, didn't build our own brand, we would be working for somebody else's brand. So it was in 2012 that the the Beard Bros was really uh, brought about. And then uh, 2013, I think, is when we made it official and set up a a nonprofit here in California, the legal way of working within Prop 215 and SB 420. then it just became a hustle of trying to trying to get known in a city like Los Angeles with a lot of other people. So that's that's where our work ethic just came in and we just kept going until people knew who we were.
2: Well, and the other side of that was, like you said, we moved to LA not really knowing anybody and where we actually chose to ingratiate ourselves or spend our time or energy was getting involved with Orange County Normal back then, getting involved with the prisoner outreach, getting involved as we saw the veteran groups start to form and A few of them, even before they formed, we were talking with the people that were leading those groups about how could we get involved in that. So we didn't come out looking to ship packs to the East Coast. We came out looking to build something lasting, something with an impact. We didn't really understand it completely at the time that that's what we were doing. But that's the people we were reaching out to to get a hold of that part of the California community and and the activist side of things, because that's really where all of this spawned from. If it wasn't for the AIDS patients and the medical movement back into the 90s none of this would have even started off so we we felt it a it made sense to talk to those people and to find out the stories that were there but also almost to pay homage to those people because they were putting in the work long before we were long before you guys were and and they deserve that
0: and that's that's become a big part of you guys's platform now right like it's in the mission statement I think a lot of people that that look towards you guys like even outside of other states are people that are legacy guys that have been around this that are really really you know the people that have the highest level of passion for this whether it's because they've been in the industry for a long you know before it was an industry they've been a part of advocacy or they've just been a lover of this plant. i think that's something that's common of your guys's audience is it's maybe some of the new founders and people that are looking for, you know, just in, industry news and information on, on your guys' media side uh, are there. But I'd, I'd say a lot of that hardcore audience is exactly that, what you guys found. And so when you guys started the media side, was there that same intention of making sure it's paying homage and, and keeping this legacy market there? Or is that something you guys kind of discovered as you started to put media content out?
3: Oh, no, that was that was part of the reason for starting the media. We, we recognized that there was a a lack of people who were in the industry talking about the industry. Um, We also saw a lack of culture preservation. Uh, We realized the way that the East coast was going with no culture, just a a company and a brand that they, they don't have any culture there, so to speak. I mean, of course, there's a legacy market everywhere. Uh, But with the way the East coast has rolled out, there was no way to even talk about that. It's still not talked about. I mean, Florida and Pennsylvania, for instance, you know, Mm -hmm. 600,000 plus patients and, there's not talk of any legacy. Um, So for us, it had always been that way. It was it was about um, paying respect to people that had come before us. A lot of people put their freedom and their life on the line. Um, And and we recognize that that was something cannabis is not like any other industry. Right. Like it's not like uh, gas stations. It's not like the gas industry where there was legacy gas operators that made it happen. You know, what I mean. Um, it's not like really any other industry, uh, convenience stores, for instance, or 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 even pharmacies and drugstores. There was no legacy. They started out as industries. Mm-hmm. Cannabis has a unique role in history of being very much like alcohol. But alcohol only had about a 10 year lapse of of prohibition, whereas as cannabis had a, an 80 year lapse of, 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 of being legal. So it's uh, it's very important for us to, for people to understand uh, how this came about, because, like Jeff said, if it wasn't for the people, uh, primarily in San Francisco, uh, pushing towards uh, you know legalization of a plant that doesn't harm anybody, we wouldn't be having this discussion today.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's very impactful, and and I think you know one of the unique things it's it's something I feel like a broken record when I talk about on this podcast, but I think one of the unique things about cannabis is it's a very community driven thing, and I think folks like ourselves that have been here, but again, before pre-industry, you know, um, that's just why I like to call it, fuck legacy market, fuck, you know, black market, whatever. I just said pre-industry before it was called an industry, you know, it was still obviously that's happening, cool. but for us folks that have been there, you know, is the community is what, what we, where we found a plugs being able to find just product to, to consume. But also, you know, community over over sharing stories and thoughts over joints, and it was the community that helped push this thing past legalization. And so, I think it's very, very important. And I think anyone that's a legacy. Um, can acknowledge that, that it's very, very important that we keep some of that community alive and community sharing stories. So, you know, as, as someone else that puts out content, you know, Joey and ourselves, you know, we, we praise you guys a lot, you know, cause we, we, we understand the grind, but also understand that mission of, of keeping part of that legacy and telling the story. So we definitely applaud you guys for that. What, is, what has been some of the feedback as legalization has not just grown in California, obviously you guys have been there, you know, pre-rec cannabis, but also it's starting to spread across the country. What are some of those things that you feel like are changing in terms of what what kind of stories you cover or, or your guys' growth within this industry as legalization starts to boom?
2: I think one of the biggest things I see is the acceleration of information and education in the new states. Bill and I talk about this a lot. The East Coast is almost more advanced in terms of all the minor cannabinoids, all the terpenes, whereas the West Coast, where thc has always been king kind of dwarfs everything else but but people on the east coaster and sometimes it's lack of access to the, the wide range of products that we have where they find a a particular cannabinoid or a particular terpene that works for something that they have and and they buy based off of that so just the the education level of the consumers where it's not just going in and going you know, and, it, and it's some of that's changing in the way that products are presented. The fact that in California, you can't smell the product. You can't touch the product. You can't actually have the experience that you would normally have with the product to purchase that way. The East Coast is never really had that experience level. So the way that they purchase is different. So seeing a lot of those advancements and going to a different place and seeing that. I know you guys doing the, the North American Weed Tour have been in and out of a lot of dispensaries, dealt with a lot of different brands and a lot of different regions. But that's that's one of the main things I see is it when it was just Colorado and California, it was kind of a slow build of information and and levels to it. And now there's people that are coming in as entry level consumers going, oh, I'm looking for a high level of mercine in any product that I'm getting because I want this effect from it. Yeah, I I think you can actually trace that back to how the markets developed Uh,
3: for the last 10 or 20 years. The states on the western side of the country have had what we call deli style, right? You walked in. We don't have it anymore, unfortunately, but we did have it. And you could walk in and you could look at it and you could smell it. And your body knew what terpene it was smelling and what it wanted. Everybody had a favorite. I like this. I don't like that. The East Coast never had that option, right? They would get products from the West Coast and somebody would tell them it's this. There was no way of verifying it's this. And now with their legalized markets, they're in the same boat as we are. They can't open up the product and smell it. So I think that, like Jeff said, their education had to take a a different uh, a different road than the West Coast education of cannabis did because they had to rely on scientific testing values and things like that. Once they found something they liked and they found out it was high in mercine, now they're looking for other mercine high products. Um, so it's just been it's been wild for us to watch it coming from both the East Coast with no legacy and and ending up here in California with a legacy. And now the actual combining of both of those, it's. I don't know what's going to happen next year to be perfectly honest but if you would asked me five years ago if this is where we'd be i would have said no
1: <laughs> it's, that's funny i find it interesting as well you know to uh suggest point about the level of education being notably i'd say elevated for c- customers on the east coast um i talk about this a lot in california uh, i've never met a medically certified butt tender in this state but i personally know at least 10 in washington where i'm from and so that THC is king and the culture of California is its own beast. You know, it's, you know, LA is la la land. Right. And it's interesting because, you know, I haven't been medically certified for some time. I'm not necessarily the, you know, in the Gangier program or any of those kinds of things that would call it this post cannabis education. Right. And nor did I come from growing on my, from a lab or anything like that. But I also found it, the level of education to be a little bit higher in the other states that I've been in outside of California. I would obviously go so far as to say that the bud tenders here are often worse here than they are in other states. Um, and that includes Oregon and then just remove Washington because of slight bias. So it's just even still Oregon and Nevada, you, you find, you find people that had experience, but then they got better training from some of these bigger funded companies you know, men then did do extensive training with their people for better or for worse. Green Thumb, I'm sure does that, you know, shout out to, uh, you know, Maha and her taking yeah. the new role over there, at the Green Thumb industries. I think we're starting to see some of these groups do a better job of training. And they also know that the market shows, you know, just like what you said, THC really is just the pusher out here in Cali. People shop different when they're here. People are looking for that Cali something, that, cali fire the most potent this
2: the most designer that like it's well it's even cool. it's even kind of funny to have the discussion about thc as king because that's really just a flower discussion correct and, and the amount of edibles and oh, and, I'd say and drinks and i mean it is somewhat someone on the contrary side, but the amount of other products that that don't have that as the the main driving force to oh. them as well is another reason why i think the east coast has come up differently education wise
1: They're definitely set up, at least in my opinion, better for uh, consumer success over there. They may not have the best products available yet, but that will come. There's multiple great brands here that are now available in Massachusetts, and we're starting to see them pop up in Florida and all. Well, I think
2: that's we we keep talking about the community and the industry kind of coming together, and eventually, are going to meet somewhere in a middle ground at some point. And I think it's the East Coast and West Coast. The West Coast has all of the brands. The East Coast kind of has the capital and the, the MSOs and a lot of that, and that's why they're not out here in the, in the West Coast yet. But, but how that's going to all meld together in the next year or two is going to be very interesting as we get, even though it didn't end up being the five-year clause that was in California's laws, we get beyond that first five years where some of the things in the legislature are going to change and then the regs are going to change for better or for worse and to see how things are going to shake out. But California has been a unique animal all along
0: yeah it's 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 interesting when you look at uh people in like leadership positions sometimes they say you know when they hire someone they're like they'd rather almost hire people sometimes without any experience so they can train them how they want rather than correcting re-correcting bad habits they start with a fresh thing and i think that might be this phenomenon of this east coast west coast where you're having people just come up with this education as opposed to like people in california although it's the most mature marketplace the the mindsets and the 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 stigmas, not the negative stigmas, but the stigmas and the thoughts on cannabis and what's quality and whatnot. It's like ingrained in people. And like again, for better, for worse, for right or for wrong, people have this level of, you know, education where they're not willing to learn something new or, or break down what they know. You know, it's a little bit more difficult to to transfer that information. So that's, I haven't even thought of that, but I think that's a really a really great point in, in terms of this East Coast versus West Coast and and the consumer education. Yeah, the East Coast was just hungry for information and they
3: didn't have a 20 year legacy market to draw off of. So they they had to go with with the route that what was being what was being scientifically talked about, like they couldn't go with anecdotals because they mm-hmm. didn't have them. I mean, they had the anecdotal, but it was just a bag of weed they got from the plug That was
2: whatever they said it was,
1: yeah, whatever Leafly said it was. And yeah, things exactly. that were yeah,
2: yeah, whatever that was
0: in the back of high times when you go back a little older. Yeah. Nug nug identifier, looking at the pictures, all the, all the strains, looking at <laughs> you trying to match it up. Oh man, that's, that's, that's funny. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, it's so, it's super interesting. You know, that's one of the things we've talked about with a lot of people is the, the yearning for this THC percentage conversation to fully go mainstream and start breaking down because you get in that loop of California where all the buyers will, you know, every buyer will acknowledge THC doesn't matter, but I can't move it if it doesn't have a certain percentage. Right. And then it's the same thing. You know, bud tenders will say I try, but it doesn't work. So I just, you know, just slip in whether it's lazy or just, you know, the easy way of retail, they just slip in and this just this fucking shit show. Slippery slope of like, all right, we'll just push high THC because that's all that matters, rather than people, you know, standing firm on their two feet, being like, no, the shit fucking stops here, you know. And I, I'm eagerly waiting for for more people to just be like, no, fuck that shit. But I, I don't know when we're gonna get there. Um, you know, for you guys on on the cultivation side, whether it's cultivating or just consuming what point in your journey did you, you know, coming from this other side of the country, but what point of your journey did you discover quality, like true quality cannabis or, and or like craft, what you would classify as craft cannabis?
3: Um, my first time of seeing some really high quality cannabis would be at a grateful dead concert. Uh, and it probably came from out here, uh, from California. Uh, It was an East coast concert, but, uh, I just remember at the Grateful Dead concerts, they always had the best weed. It um, <laughs> wasn't flat. It still smelled good. I mean, growing up in the seventies and eighties on the East coast, I started smoking brickweed. There wasn't anything else, you know, in Pennsylvania in the, in the early eighties, that's what you were smoking was brickweed, um, unless somebody was growing some homegrown. And even then it probably wasn't that good. Cause genetics were not that talked about or, or, or worked on or, and everybody was very quiet about it. So, um, you know, for me, the, the first, uh, you know, what, what was called Crippy and then, and then Grateful Dead concerts would be what I would consider the first really good quality
2: bud I saw. Yeah, and that's the same thing. You know, my, my high school years were that early to mid-90s in Florida, and almost everybody was still smoking Reggie at the time. It's kind of funny looking back on it now because, what well, the homegrown that we were able to get from up in the Kentucky, Tennessee area, we actually called mids. And it was a positive connotation to it because it wasn't Reggie. It wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't the high dollar crippy that you had to, you know, pay 50 bucks and eight for back then, but it was in between. And it was, it had good taste to it. And, you know, it, it didn't dry up and break up and have seeds and stems all through it. Like the Reggie that you normally got the brick weed, like Bill's talking about. So having access to that, was the first time but i mean even when we moved to colorado and just the year that we were there attempting to get good genetics there was was somewhat difficult so i would say on the cultivation side it wasn't until we actually got out to california our first couple of strains that we picked up were from dispensaries but then once we got to knowing some growers and knowing some breeders and actually getting quality genetics going back to your point of community like even even as outsiders from the east coast that's what started our journey was getting access to good genetics no matter how good we could grow if the starting Genetics were not good. It wasn't going to good, yield a good end product for us.
3: Yeah, without a doubt, the West Coast of the United States is the genetic capital of the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: No, nobody can dispute that. I mean, sure, we have genetics that started in the Netherlands and things like that, and that was born out of necessity because we couldn't do it here. But if you're talking today, all of the good genetics are coming from the West Coast of the United States.
0: Right. Do, you
1: guys have, do you guys have some favorites that you've, you know, that you've enjoyed over the last few years or over the last decade?
3: I mean, we're just, we're old school guys. I like the motor breasts, the headbands. Um, it wasn't really until like 2016 or so, about the same time our extreme cream came out, that everybody had something that looked like they dipped it in powdered sugar. That's a relatively new phenomenon. Um, probably 15, 16. So in the last five or six years, is there's just been a really uh, amazing mix into the genetic pool of these visibly frosty strains now that's good and bad because it looks fantastic but a lot of times those things have lots of lots of trichomes in, but they taste like cardboard so oh, they're not just because it looks like that does not mean that it's something that it, that is better than anything else I, I personally i've seen new stuff now that looks fantastic something older that looks not good but the older stuff blows it away and it's mostly because i feel like what you're getting with a lot of that powdered sugar type stuff is a high thc profile whereas the old school ones have other other cannabinoids and other terpenes that you're not getting
2: and i kind of say the same thing it's funny because when we got here in 11 until i don't know i'd say probably about 15 or 16 og just still ruled hardcore vader abusive there's just so many different varieties even though they all spawn from the same two three four uh, initial varieties but beyond that you've seen a lot of the exotics come in and the and the og just kind of fall by the wayside because it's on the traditional side but it's it, it goes along with legalization I would actually say because it's a more difficult strain to grow it doesn't usually yield as well and but that that was my my go-to smoke for the longest time um, n- now everything has to have some unique flavor to it where that was the og was all the about the effect now oh. it, now it's more about taste flavor than it really is the effect you get from the flower that's
0: one of the biggest things I've, the biggest changes I've noticed. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I, I think I think OG, you know, in this world, like we were saying, that was not deli style, right? Like OG doesn't necessarily have very good bag appeal historically. You know, the bud structure is kind of weird. It can be kind of a weird green, like you know, a lot of OGs are almost like yellowish. I'd say sometimes I don't know. Like it's not yeah. the greatest looking flower, but it's one of those ones where if you smoke, like I you know, fuck, I don't care what the THC percentage says if. Or what it looks like if it's a good og a, a real smoker will know it's a good og but that is a lot harder to move in this market where we're you know yearning for exotics and designer and lemon cherry vanilla flavor adds to the names and then it has to look purple in the back you know and a, a real good og is not going to really cross a lot of those boxes It's just no. gonna be it's looking.
3: i mean a, a good example is look at purple punch it might test hmm. close to 30 doesn't even get me high Give me an old school OG at eighteen percent. I'm high as shit. So right. you can't you can't even equate that stuff. But we just have to keep pounding out through
1: people's heads. Yeah, I don't feel like I get high off the punches.
3: No, I don't. Yeah,
0: no, I don't yeah. either. Beautiful looking plant, but yeah, yeah that's that's the about phenomenal. The best that's bag of ever <laughs> Yeah. So um, you know on on this on this Beard Bros brand side, you know, you guys said when you first were cultivating the brand wasn't curated what was the inspiration behind starting that brand? Have you guys always held the beard or were you guys just starting to get known as two brothers with beards? Like what, what what's kind of the origin of, of the brand name? Uh, I mean, it was intentional. You want to tell it Jeff or you want me to? Well,
2: I was to say there, you can tell the one side of it. I, there, there's a little bit of a dual purpose to it, but Bill, if you want to tell the one side of it, I'll tell the other, because it kind so, of applies so when to we the learned.
3: Two beards, two stories,
1: it makes sense. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, so we first moved to Colorado. Uh, we had come from Florida. Uh, And people in Florida, except for bikers, didn't have really big beards. So we both had a little bit of facial hair, but not much. Um, And we moved to a little mountain town called Nederland, Colorado, just outside of Boulder. And very close-knit community. Uh, The reason we moved there is because in 2010, they were the only place in the country that had made adult use completely legal. So as long as you were over the age of 18 in the town of Nederland, you could consume cannabis and not be prosecuted. Boulder County did not agree with that, but it didn't matter as long as you were talking to Nederland, uh police officers if, if, the, if the case arose. Um, so when we got there, we looked like classic Florida guys, which were not classic mountain men. And people started thinking we were feds. They're like, look, the feds are bringing people in here. We passed this law and now it's legal for 18 and up and they're sending feds in. So Jeff and I were like, what are we going to do? We can't be considered feds. This is horrible. So. We're like, hey, let's grow our beards out because everybody else here has a big beard. So we started growing our beards out. Um, when we made the move to move to LA in 2011, people didn't have beards. They weren't cool 10 years ago. 11, God, almost 11 years ago now. Um, so that set us apart. So that was the inspiration for being called Beard Brothers because there wasn't other people in the scene in 2010 and 11 and 12 in LA that, that had big beards. So that was when we... We started the name Beard Rose it was in uh, late 2012 when Prop 19 didn't pass.
2: And, and not as a interesting of a story, but my last two, two or three jobs prior to moving out of, Cal- out of Florida to Colorado were more corporate style where I couldn't have any kind of facial hair. Other than I think I at the time I had a little soul patch right here um, and I had the shaved head for quite a while. But the, the year we lived in Colorado, I literally I joked it was my freedom year. I did not cut my hair. I did not shave. So I moved there with a completely shaved head and a little soul patch. And that was my driver's license photo there. And then when we moved to California a year later, my driver's license photo was hair down to my shoulders and the full beard. And then when we got to California, it was way too hot to keep the full shoulder length hair. So the hair came off and then it started to thin and get gray. And that's why it stayed shaved for the last 10 years. But no, it was it was moving out of kind of the somewhat oppressive southeast to the mountains of Colorado and being, you know what? we're working nights doing some grocery reset jobs while growing during the daytime. I don't need to be presentable. I I can just be me essentially kind of going back to that, for that freedom aspect of of things. Um, So that was the other, other side of the story on beard roads. And then as Bill said, it, it was a, something that made us unique. And in 2012 to 13, we actually a much more realistic logo that was pulled from a Facebook photo of us, where it almost looked like a caricature was our first Beard Bros logo. And, and at that time, it was pretty risky to put it out there that much. You could create a brand, and if people didn't know who was behind the brand, you could move product behind it. But when you put your face on it, you were all in. And, you know, <laughs> a decade later, we're still all in. Yeah. And we always, we always used to joke, too,
3: that uh, during the legacy days, that was our exit plan. If, if we ever needed to make a quick exit, we could shave our beards and let our hair grow out. And nobody would know who we were.
0: <laughs> oh my God. That's it so might still be the exoplan, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> just change your name real quick, cut the beard. That's so funny that, it, that that the initial response started from just I don't want to be the fed I don't want to be yeah. associated God, with. They can't with think the we're the
1: feds. That's hilarious.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, that is so funny.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. But it's 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 unique, right? Like brands in this space and even back in, in that, you know, a decade ago, right? Like not a lot of people were building that brand and like you said coming out of that legacy market where you don't talk about this you don't put it out there you damn sure don't put it on social media you know a lot of us back then we didn't even talk about things on the phone you never ever ever in a text message you know you were so scared of everything but to to take your face and put it on there what was that what was that conversation between you two because i'm sure you both had to be on board of being like we're all in and we're going to be the face on this. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that's what happened. We, we went all into it and, and we realized that, um,
3: you know, being actual brothers and being able to put some authenticity behind a brand was really the best way to go. I mean, the best way to to impress upon people that you care about the brand and about the product is the way we did it. So the way we got known was just to go to these uh, these sessions that uh, on the in, in L.A. back in 14, 15, 16, you could find a session every single day of the week. You could spend one or 200 bucks uh, with the event organizers. You could show up with your uh, card table and, you know, backpacks full of packs and you could sit down and literally meet the patients that were going to get your product. And then they would come back to the same session next week. So you had to have a level of authenticity and honesty that portrayed what your values really were. Um, So we just, we just worked on that. We just knew that if we stayed consistent and we provided good medicine to people and we were accessible and transparent. We didn't know we had hoped that would lead to to what we have today. So we it was we were all in it was a leap of faith. And I think we just took it like, hey, we came from the East Coast where they were locking people up for 10 years for an eight lighter to California to where and LA specifically where if you were state legal, you really felt safe other than potentially being robbed, which is obviously something that's in the news nowadays, very prevalently. Um, but, but that was it just, just coming out in California and realizing, Hey, we've got a chance to be part of something that I don't think you'll be able to do on the East coast or honestly ever again. Like you can't build a brand the way we did it in California a decade ago. You, you mm-hmm. can't do that anywhere.
1: Yeah. The ability to, you know, there are still sessions, but you definitely can't be at those sessions and become a part of this wreck industry as it is. Word gets out very quick. You know, there's obviously now just this digital age where people just are unfortunately just snitches and just either hate, yeah. hate you know, cyber attack or just, you know, a couple emails to the right people from the DCC. And bang, yeah, bang. I guess
3: I, you know, I could actually walk that back a little bit. Uh, when we got to California, you could start a nonprofit for about $5,000 in lawyers fees and you were legal. You were a, a, a sharing nonprofit. Oklahoma is the only state that's allowed anybody to do that for that type of uh, low uh, accessibility to the market. Oklahoma is the only other state besides California that's, that's pulled that
1: off. And that's not alone is super powerful. Again, it just gives people the ability to start their own nonprofit organization business, you know, and launch into other things.
0: Yep. Absolutely. And it supports, you know, that that style of model of what we saw really allows that grassroots model, right? Whereas we're seeing some of these East Coast places or Midwest where there's severely, you know, 15 cultivation licenses in the whole state, right? That makes that just excludes so many people, you know, so many people that California, that Oklahoma model, while there's definitely some oversupply and, you know, potential economic issues of supply and demand that'll work itself out it does provide us you know the starting platform it's is very low for people that just want to get their foot in to, to make a crack at it and it's a, a true free market you know the strong yeah. will survive but it gives anybody an opportunity to take that shot any
3: kind of limiting of licensing uh is only beneficial to mso's and large companies it's the only people it's beneficial to I
2: mean, it's not I beneficial do- to
3: the even
2: with, us, even with us moving out to California like we did, our, our hope and our plan was always to go back to Pennsylvania and Florida, where we were from, where they were really needing the medicine and needing the access to it. And when both of those states opened up, it was prohibitive for us to even attempt to get a license. We all know the corruption that allowed Florida's licensing program to go the way that it did. And Pennsylvania required 2 million in liquid assets just to apply. And I'm pretty sure that the licensing fee was a non-refundable licensing fee. So, I mean, that I, I don't know who other than somebody that's raised capital through investment can actually attempt that. So they they, they restricted it so much and it's, It's why we have such a fragmented system, and then when we start to talk about federal legalization, how difficult that's going to be, because we're going to end up with 30 or 40 different frameworks of systems, all not wanting to give up what they've all established themselves at at great risk to themselves, just like we as the operators are not wanting to give up all the things that we had that we had to fight for when there was a lot more risk and obviously a lot more reward, but it's, it's making it, it's muddying the waters and making it much more difficult to come up with any kind of a comprehensive system. That's going to work.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a a conversation. Not a lot of people are having, you know, they think, Oh, we have a democratic president tipping point of cannabis is there. Let's get federal legalization. But you're absolutely right. We have, you know, God knows how many States have varying degrees of medical and adult use and all of their regulations and license License structures, tax structures, you know, marketing regulations, they're all vastly, vastly different. So national legalization is going to continue to be a little bit harder of a topic as we see more states come online. Cause it's just going to add more chefs in the kitchen.
3: Yeah. I mean, the only way I see legalized federal legalization happening is if they do something similar to the bill that was put up with a three to 5% tax, just stay out of the way. We want our three to 5% do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I, you know, You can't come in with what the Democratic one was, which was anywhere from twelve and a half to twenty-five percent, depending upon income. I don't know why the Feds think they can come in and just tax us like that when they've been putting us in jail for the last forty. I don't know why
2: they could think that they could do that to any industry, much less an industry that's already overtaxed to the to the hilt, like it is.
0: Right. Well, that's that's politics, man. They'll squeeze anything they. (laughs) Well, they just they just keep teasing us. They they know
3: that the majority of their constituents are in favor of of not only medical cannabis, but recreational cannabis. They know that they're doling it out. I I liken it to the computers. Remember when we had 56 K, then we had 128 K or whatever it was. They just kept giving us these little increments. Why? Because they fucking could (laughs) and they didn't need to give it all to us at once.
2: So I like to look at it like the whole computer race was. That's actually a good analogy. And our, our dad worked for AT&T for 30 plus years, but I also spent a couple of years working in a call center for that. And the call center I worked in was the long distance international calling center where everybody paid money to call all the for foreign countries, you know, between like 30, 40 cents up to a couple of dollars a minute to call places. And that's completely gone now. Granted, some technology mm-hmm. had to come into play, but it's the same type of thing where they they dole it out in little small increments instead of developing a cohesive system from the start. That allows everybody to understand it's a level playing field, or if it's not a level playing field, where they fit. But the problem now is they keep moving the playing field. They keep changing the rules when people think they have an understanding of how things are going to go, and it's it's a very difficult way to try to operate.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent,
1: definitely, damn near, damn near impossible. We got all these operators up there in Northern California getting squeezed so hard, and then we already watched Washington go through a couple of years of. Not, not just the low hanging fruit failing out of it, but then their prede- then their followers and then their followers. We've seen a couple of these licenses get sold five to seven times already through failed groups in our, in our own state, it's pretty wild.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's con- control and monetization. But on the, on, the, on the media side, you know, when did you guys start putting out content and start developing the media side of the brand?
3: Uh, the media side started really organically uh, in 15 uh, because leading up to the vote for Prop 64 in, in uh, 2016, um, we, 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 you know, everybody was talking about it. Uh, we saw some rough structures of it. There was a uh, there was a medical um, uh, a bill that was going to go into effect if something didn't happen with Prop 64. Uh, and we realized that not very many people were educated on what was really happening. Uh, and the people like us that had been legacy guys who had wanted to, to try to find a way to be in the the quote unquote legal market, we started researching how to do that. And we realized that not a lot of people were really paying much attention to what was going on. So we had a small following at the time, probably, you know, know 10 or 15000 followers on Instagram, primarily from um, from from our from our uh, farm uh, from our farm photos. We would always take pictures of our flowers growing so that we went to sell them to people. We could show the people the plant they were buying while it was growing. Um, so, you know, leading into that, we realized that there was there was a lot of work to do.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. The the media side, it's 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 unique. Um in this space, being that you know pre-legalization, we had high times. You know, the only place you could seek this information was in a in a magazine. The magazine, you know, no disrespect to anyone out there, running magazines. But the magazine's a a die been a dying format, you know, well over the last decade. And as legalization has helped normalize and break the stigma, it's given guys like yourselves or myself that are you know and Joey that are legacy guys that that freedom to hey, we can talk about this a little bit more freely from a personal standpoint on the internet, but also provided more media opportunities. Uh, what are some of the challenges you guys have faced? Cause you know, before, before I was going to your guys' website, obviously you guys did a really, really, and still do a really, really incredible job distributing content through Instagram. What are some of those battles you guys have had around Instagram in, in sharing cannabis content?
2: Well, definitely being pretty much continuously shadow banned is, is one of them. Um, Bill deals with that a lot more than on on the Instagram side of things than I do, but just. The, the amount of reach that we could potentially have if we were not in that continuous situation. Um, we've been working towards trying to get you know a blue check mark because the, the fear of having that shut down and that being the opening conduit to most of our content that we then redirect people to other places without that conduit, we do have a backup page that we, you know, was a result of getting shut down back in 16. And we had to create that page and, and build that for several months before getting the page down. So, I mean, obviously just dealing with with Instagram and the way they are passively, aggressively friendly with cannabis, I guess is a nice way to say it. They, they kind of tolerate it like they have to. And I, I have a feeling we're gonna, as, as federal legalization comes a little closer, we're gonna see them start to open arm, welcome and embrace it because the, the amount of revenue that could come from it but um i guess i'll let bill speak a little bit more to it than well yeah the
3: part that blows my mind on it is what's going to happen the day it is federally legal does instagram just shut off all the fucking restrictions and everything's fine now talk about weed however you want to it's just a
1: check it's just a checkbox on their algorithm right i know i mean what literally i i like i honestly feel like cannabis guns politics fake news right like
3: yeah i mean it's wild to me um you know, it's just been a struggle. Uh, it's still wild to us that, uh, you know, they could geofence everything. But So why can't they just geofence yeah. California cannabis, right? I mean, there's no reason we shouldn't be able to talk about it. And only people in California can see it or only people in a legal state can see it. So we know they have the technology. Um, I feel like it's just a way to keep uh, keep putting us down until they can actually monetize us mm-hmm. on there. Uh, I think they realize that they gave us a a somewhat free platform. I mean quite honestly we built our brand on instagram um when i would go into shops back in 13 14 15 i would i would pull up hashtags it had all of our strains i mean we would have a pitch deck instagram was our pitch deck so i would hashtag uh hashtag bb underscore and then the name of the strain. so when i would go in to show a buyer i would pull a pack out of the bag out of the backpack and i'd say here it is do you want to see what it looks like growing sure and i would go to that hashtag and i would show them Picture after picture. Here's Mm. what it looked like in week one. Here's what it looked like in week five. Here's what it looks like hanging. Here's what it looked like three days ago before I brought it to you. So, I mean, Instagram has been a a blessing and a pain in the ass all at the exact same time.
2: (laughs) Uh, I, I uh, I feel like it's become more selective now as well because you're seeing some more of the mainstream brands or some of the brands that have gotten some funding behind them find workarounds to actually put up sponsored content Mm -hmm. and sponsored ads for the very same things that we get shut down for or we get flagged for or we get told we can't do and i know it's not just us it's a lot of the smaller companies and and just the the words and the nomenclature that you use for for your particular post getting it shut down so if there was any kind of even-handedness or or fairness to it it'd be one thing but but the fact that you can just report somebody for no reason at all and have posts taken down. And there is no no way to really get those posts back up when they are not what they're being po- being reported for. We all have seen it on the troll side of things. And and it just, it makes, like I was saying earlier, an already difficult situation that much more so. Yeah. yeah I mean, just a, for instance, our,
3: our main Beer Bros page, I started it in 2013, I think. There's almost 12,000 posts. And, and eight years in it. Um, I think I did some numbers the other day, if I spent three hours a day, which is probably a pretty, pretty low number. Um, I think I have five full time work weeks, five years of full time 40 hour work weeks put into into that page. You'll five years. <laughs> well, sorry, four years of 40 hour work weeks, about 10,000 hours, eight to 10,000 hours in that page
0: that's that's incredible and, and that was one of the questions i have is what what's the work that goes into you know for people out there that are oh, just on instagram just sharing content oh you we work where, from your phone wherever you want i i know a little bit from you guys you guys have a, a regimen of you know at least from when you guys wake up and do this stuff pretty early in the morning what what's that workload look like to share this level of content
3: well i i mean there, there's more to it than just what you see if you see me put up three articles i probably read 30. Mm. right or at least start at 30 because most of them i can get about two paragraphs in right now and i know if it's something we want to pursue um but i mean it's 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 a continual uh evolvement of 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 news and trying to get it out um relatively um on a timeline to where it makes sense for people to be able to understand it and see it
1: that's yeah. 30 30 articles of curation to get to the two to three to four that you want yeah yeah, makes sense. Got to put in the got to put in the work, got to put in the work to get. The
3: well, it's funny because um, Jeff and I have, have remarked before that we probably have as much cannabis knowledge as anybody simply from the fact of just reading article after article and, and writing article after article. So, um, you know, as far as, as cannabis goes, I mean, somebody even somebody who works in the industry may have less knowledge than we do simply yeah. based on the fact that we're looking at everything.
2: And they might be hyper focused on what their their lane is. No, oh, that's definitely the case, and it, it reinforces every time we go to events. And I saw it again at Hall of Flowers and Emerald Cup the last couple of weeks. Is talking to people and 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 making the assumption that they already know about a topic and know about it in depth, and then just being like, R- "Really, you you didn't see that? You haven't." And for us, it's because we're consuming that amount of content every day that we're seeing what's going on in Florida and Pennsylvania and Massachusetts. And I mean, I know you guys see it as well in, in covering and trying to get out the major stories that you have to be paying attention to, but then being a, a brand on that side of it as well and having so many other brands reaching out to us to talk to us about that side of things. we We get so many different touch points as media, as brands, as activists, as consultants, as cultivators, as all of these different things. That's the uniqueness, I think, that we've unintentionally come around to is that we've we've pivoted and we've adjusted to focusing on all these different areas more so than most people that are focusing on those areas all the time so that we have a general knowledge beyond most I think what we're saying is we'd be very valuable
3: board members for the right company
0: Yeah, very well versed on. I mean, and and I can associate that, right? Like Joey and I, like was you know episode seventy eight of this podcast. We have tw- I don't know this year we've done probably close to a hundred podcast interviews. And at the end of the year, it's like I've learned so much just from having a hundred one hour conversations with some of the top professionals at their field in cannabis, right? Like same thing. I, I don't. I read a lot less articles than you. I do read, but in consuming that content, right? You educate yourself. You learn. I'm not a grower, I know nothing about cultivation, but we've toured, I don't know, 75 to 125 cultivation facilities and walked through and heard all of their spiels. Like I grew a plant in my front yard with no information from seed. And I just was like, I don't know, I'm just regurgitating these little bits and pieces I've picked up from all these growers. Um, And I I got the the, the plant to harvest. It was not good by the way, but I got it all the way to
3: harvest from seed, so. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting uh being part of 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 something as a whole like this whereas Mm. if somebody goes and works uh you know if somebody could be the most amazing cultivator and they spend eight to five every single day growing the best cannabis they're not going to know what kind of things are happening in massachusetts legislation because Mm. they're, they're hyper focused on growing their cannabis in california and i think that's where our niche fell into um people realized that we weren't putting out fluff pieces uh we weren't bought we were we were able to to uh to siphon through the through the bs and and the things like that so that basically you don't have to read 30 articles you can read the three that i put up and you can know with relative certainty that you got 95 percent of what you needed that day mm. and that's kind of where i feel like our niche is falling into
0: yeah no, that i i would say as someone you know before even we we got to know each other on a little bit deeper level people would always be like where do you stay up on ca- constant cannabis news and i'd always say beer bros <laughs> just follow them on instagram you know, getting the right circle on LinkedIn and you can check our site. But I was like, if you're really looking for just cannabis, I mean, follow beer bros on Instagram. I said that hell of times. Like follow them on Instagram and you you should have a good idea of what the fuck's going on. Well, on we this. highly
3: appreciate that because you guys grind as well, and we we respect and appreciate what you guys do for the community too.
2: because well, we also recognize that you're not just doing this for cannabis, you're bringing in the hip hop music where your original background from and 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 that melding together. I I kind of liken that to us talking about activism being our kind of intro story to it. And I would assume kind of the same thing for you guys. Mm -hmm. Cannabis was a major part of the hip hop scene and and they kind of went hand in hand. And then now you're able to kind of combine your passions together.
1: Absolutely. We we really fell into it in a similar vein. And then when we, you know, I, I did admit, I forget who I was speaking with in Vegas, but we weren't necessarily as big into the active, uh, the advocation side of it and activism as much as we should have been early on, not to say we were immature to it, but as Mitch mentioned earlier, we were just slow to being a part of the industry side of cannabis in Washington. We had a industry, there were brands when it started, we had, we had farmers markets and things like that, our own versions of Cali stuff, uh, with less, I guess, less hype and celebrities involved in things like that. And, you know, it wasn't until 2016 and 17 where it just really became apparent to us that we we really needed to get involved. And then now, having been in California, it's funny that you guys mentioned the the OC normal. Now we're regularly a part of the LA normal stuff, and rightfully so, right? They've been able to treat us like family, even though we're from another state, and, and to some extent been able to really help get us a better understanding of community and what people have been through here and and the right relationships to get a real true grasp on what this culture and this industry was built upon and so appreciate you guys being a part of that growth and and you know doing the content for so long you know i'm sure that the content you guys have uh, have created has reached some really powerful people and had its own special impact so appreciate you guys for hanging out with us today on the episode been a long north american weed tour for us mitch has been grinding through a lot of these podcast episodes putting the team on his back so big big shout out to you guys for for riding through with us all the way to the end man.
3: Well, we appreciate you having us on and and honestly the advocacy part and you can probably back this up it, you can selfishly feel good about helping other people it's mm. a good thing you know what i'm saying yeah,
1: man. We, we we're trying to you know we've been inspired you know shout out to ian Resman and. Uh, all the all the yeah. homies over there from LA Normal, but you know we try to we try to do a better job now of talking about the right things, right? Because it's it's like what you mentioned, but bridging the gap of the music community that we that we've you know built over the last decade. You know it is important to us that those people have a better understanding of how to be safe when they're traveling, right? How to what 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 they what are some good gift ideas for their family that may or may not excite them or or maybe help them. Right.
2: Whatever it can be. Well, and, and, and even more so as cannabis goes more mainstream, hip hop and music in general was one of the, one of the driving forces beyond the activism behind the normalization of cannabis and the mainstream aspect of it. So the fact of paying it back to the that, that mm-hmm. community. That's why when I see guys like Redman and those guys coming in and being involved in this, they were the guys I followed as teenagers. They were part of why I got involved and, and immersed into the culture. So it makes sense for them to get in and it makes sense for, for us to pay homage back to that as well and, and to open openly welcome them into the community as well but i was also kind of going with that all spawned with small community based as well when when one rapper got on he put on his other people he helped his other people and it was the same thing around here with with cultivators and with breeders and with things like that when one person got successful usually all the ancillary people that were around their network as well came up along with them so i i feel you guys bring that same level of community and feel to the cannabis side as well so i just want to point that out and, and note that it's appreciated
0: thank you thank you that 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 community aspect you know it's very much you know through culture hip-hop is a very defined culture cannabis you know is a very you know maybe the picture of adult use in some of these states isn't defined as culture but cannabis in its essence is very much defined as culture and i think there's elements of that you know to to thrive in that or to carve your niche, you have to be authentic. You have to understand that. You know, Joey and I have never been advocates. We've never been, you know, very political individuals. But as you immerse yourself more in culture, or as that culture goes mainstream or that culture lifts some of the blinders up, you see some glaring things that you just, you know, a lot of us feel compelled to empower or speak out or help share the information. And it's not even that you're you know, the typical p- politician, just your experience within that culture shows you some things that aren't right or like, you know, what Bill said, some things that you might feel, you know, not doing for self gratification, but feeling good just being a part of, hey, I acknowledge there's a wrong. And if I can play just a little piece and trying to make that right, you know, I can feel I genuinely feel good about that.
3: Yeah, you might not be able
0: to change the world with one person, but you might be able to change one person's world.
1: So. Mm bang dropping bombs there we go man that was powerful
0: yeah that was that that's great man i really again you know to echo joey i really appreciate you guys being on here i really appreciate your guys' platform Uh, again just as a platform your guys' collaboration with us and that was another thing i had to highlight before we uh, we get out of here so often in um Both music and both in cannabis, when you see other people doing something very similar to you, whether, you know, we're both in the media realm of cannabis, we obviously have our our different lanes, but so many people view each other as competitors, the crabs in the bucket, you know, there's not enough to go around, whether they explicitly do that or just their interactions, you can tell there's, you know, whether it's feeling threatened or just this competitive nature in a negative way. Um, I really have always seen with you guys and something that's been a part of our mission is, is the collaboration. It doesn't matter if we're doing the same thing. There's more enough to go around. But we come from music. Music builds. Artists feature on one another. Artists bring other artists on their shows. Featuring and working with people that are doing the exact same thing as you is how you build one another up. And if the you know, rising t- tides, raise all boats, whatever the hell it is, you know, we, we believe that. What's good for the ecosystem is good for every member of the ecosystem, and so I, I, you know, I just have to salute that you guys are consistently not just us, but sharing, um, repurposing, and shining light on other media in this space. That's something that is honestly, truly fucking rare.
3: Well, we appreciate that, and we're we're big believers. And there's enough there's enough room at the table for everybody. Cannabis is that it's still in its infancy. And we don't even have federal legalization yet. It's going to take ten years mm. to shake out after that. So anybody who feels like they have to grab it all right now, they just they just don't see the big picture, in my opinion. Hundred percent, hundred percent.
0: Just wait, wait. Once this beard's a little bit more <laughs> thick, man, I'm coming for you guys. As this <laughs> as the single beard brother, we're going to be competitors. We're going to stop doing these podcasts together, and then no, I'm just. No.
2: <laughs> Joey over there with five o'clock beard. Yeah,
1: come on, man. I could. I've never ever let it go longer than two weeks. <laughs> in my life. That's just I the itchy get,
3: part. You didn't get past the itchy phase yet. <laughs> I
1: can. i never I never can. I'm not disciplined enough, man. I'm too weak. I don't <laughs> got it in me to become a bearded bro. Trust but, me,
3: once you don't have to shave for a few years, you'll appreciate it.
0: Shaving's a pain in the ass.
1: <laughs> True, man. I get I mean, you know, maybe next year I'll do the November month and we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I already I'm already self conscious. The blacklist had reposted me a couple a year or two ago and and I got the chin strap got some uh, negative comments <laughs> on the video. So <laughs> Still feeling know. some type of way? Yeah, I'm going to stay in my lane, man. I, I don't know. The, the trolls out there, I, I don't know if I could handle it. So <laughs> That's funny. It's <laughs> hilarious. Awesome, man. Well, thank you guys again. Thank you guys very much for hopping on here today, sharing some of your day. We, again, we really appreciate everything. Um, before we get out of here, I want to make sure we plug where people can find the information. Can you give your guys' Instagram handle and website for us one time?
3: Uh, Instagram handle is beard bros underscore farms with a ph so it's b-e-a-r-d-b-r-o-s underscore p-h-a-r-m-s uh, we also have had our website up since we started doing uh, got really into the media content in 2018 so beard bros farms farms with a ph again uh, dot com um, and what else we need to talk about the uh, uh, recently came out with apparel line so we have mm-hmm. that on Beerbrosfarms.com. Jeff's got one of the I shirts. Say a little,
2: little, bit of social activism combined with commerce. We got a yeah. learn the uh, craft over corporate one. We've got uh, four different phrases currently, but you can find those at Beerbrosfarms.com. That'll uh, help support us, continue us doing the the mission of the greater good, putting out what content. Else? Yep. also have a, a
3: CBD line that we do nationwide. that's at BeerbrosWellness.com. Um, I think that's about uh, that's about all the major things. Facebook, we don't talk about Facebook because there's no engagement. They're haters on Facebook.
2: We we apparently need a link with you
0: guys because you guys have the Facebook thing unlocked. Yeah, we we we've been on Facebook for for quite some time, and we're non-cannabis in the start. So I I don't I don't know if we slipped in somewhere some some uh, you know they grandfathered don't like, in. I don't I don't know.
2: They don't like us. I see other CBD companies actively putting up sponsored ads, and I
0: can't even put up a post. So
2: yeah, yeah. they're not very it's, friendly.
0: It's been a battle. I've spent many, many of hours on the, the support email and the support phone with uh, you know, the advertiser side. You obviously don't get support if you're not an advertiser, but uh, I've spent many, many hours uh, sneaking in cannabis questions in with the support team, which they hate because that's not their department, but uh, they also don't like to hang up on you. So I like to ruin some of those guys' days from time to time. <laughs>
2: Cu- couple of other things to mention, just because we know your your audience goes beyond California borders as well. We, uh, we will be in Miami at the beginning of February for Cannadelic, the uh, Cannabis and Psychedelic Conference. Don't know if you guys plan to go to that. Uh, also for Emerald Cup when they're doing the uh, judging and results in L.A., which I believe they haven't announced yet, but I believe it's going to be it's late March. February, early March, somewhere in March. that range. And then uh, our, we're continuing our media work with Hall of Flowers and Green Street for the Green Street Festival that they're doing with Gary Vee cannabis, wine, and music in downtown L.A. in early May. They're going to be shutting down, I believe, the block or two blocks right there in front of the Green Street building. So if you're looking to spot us and find us out at events, that's where you'll see us in the next few months. Another
3: thing of note is we are working on some branding deals in two other states. So hopefully within uh, hopefully within about three to five months, you'll see Beer Bros. Beer Bros. will be a multi-state brand rather than just a California brand. We've got a couple other states we're working on. and. And hoping to have that come to fruition soon
2: and also have some uh, behind the scenes podcast news type shows going uh, our way as well we uh, haven't put out the pilot or really announced too much on that but that's going to be coming down the pipeline somewhat shortly as as evidenced by our consistent backgrounds behind us <laughs> love it love it well man congratulations
1: on all the success fellas and the new and the, the soon-to-be launches in the other states very excited to continue you know watching the content reading it, and, and also reposting it and supporting right and um as always down to have a convo about you know any of the social issues that you guys are having on the medias if you'd like and support from that regard we're sharing a lot more uh, video content these days and it could just be a matter of curation right instead of 30 articles maybe 30 videos get added in by someone on the team things like that and so but um anyways we really appreciate you guys thank you again for being on the episode today
0: mitch episode 78 episode 78 we got two more and then we're fucking done with this season we got to get these done before the end of the year oh, to no. accomplish no. this goal talking about cannabis legal cannabis across the country and beyond north american weed tour thank you very much to jeff and bill of the beer brothers really appreciate you guys uh respectmargin.com we're out
2: the hustle is perpetual